as we have observed on a number of occasions, uh, as the writer to Hebrews is writing, he seems to be writing to a group of people who are under some stresses. And he's giving them some things to hold on to so they do not abandon their faith walk. And that's why we've called this entire series Timeless Certainties for Uncertain Times, because there are things that he doesn't enumerate them for us, but in the last text we looked at, he made the statement, you've not yet resisted sin unto blood, meaning there's, there are some things that are creating problems for them. They haven't gone as far as Jesus has, and he laid Jesus out as, as that ultimate example, that ultimate witness of what it means to live for the kingdom under any circumstances. And so today we're going to pick it up in verse 5 of Hebrews chapter 12. And uh, we're actually going to work from down here, I think, this morning. And I'm putting it up this way for a reason. I'm going to ask you guys, because you're sharp, I'm going to ask you guys to pick out, in reading this, what's the theme of these verses? I think you'll see it, all right? And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Did you pick up a theme? Did you see it? It's continuing, continuing to go on about this concept of enduring, running a race with endurance, and uh, what did you say, Kathy? About discipline, didn't he? Paul, will you show us that next screen? Do you see that pop up on that screen? All of these words right here, even the word corrected here, in the original language all come from the same root word. And it runs throughout that. This concept of God chastening, disciplining I prefer the concept of training. I say training because when you think in terms of chastening and disciplining, it kind, of, it kind of limits you to, hey, you went wrong, you went down the wrong path, and therefore here comes this heavy hand to straighten you out. Well, that may be necessary. God holds on to the privilege that if need be, and we're walking astray and we are his children, he can bring correction to us, and uh, it, sometimes it will make us uncomfortable to get our attention to come back to him. But that's not the only way and the only thing that the word refers to, which is why I prefer the word training or discipling. Okay, he disciplines us. Everything about that, the root word to, to our English word dis, disciple is to di, or discipline is disciple, to teach, to train, to instruct. 
So notice the first thing that he says in uh, verse 7. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. So the first thing he talks about is relationship. When we are in relationship with the Father, as with our own fathers, He will at times discipline us, train us. At times it will make us uncomfortable. At times it will mean going through some difficult things. He will either do it directly if need be, or at times He may allow things that He knows will ultimately be good for us. But the point there He's emphasizing is that of relationship. As we're undergoing the difficult times, remember that you have a heavenly Father who is using this for your benefit. I like to think of two guys that I've known in my, my experience. Um, one of them I've mentioned to you under other contexts, but uh, young, a young boy by the name of Joel. And Joel uh, grew up in a home where he never knew his dad. And I asked him about that one time as, uh, as he was involved with the youth that I was ministering with. And uh, Joel is one of these guys that now I've lost track of him. Last I saw him, he was living in a commune. Joel is probably either dead from substance abuse or the head of some corporation somewhere, you know, and doing amazingly well if he ever chose to start making some, some good decisions for his life because he's a very, very capable young man. But I asked him about that. What is that, you know, what about your father? Where is he? He said... I have no idea. If my dad walked in the door now, I wouldn't know it was my dad. I have no clue who my dad is. I said, how'd you deal with that growing up? And one of the things he mentioned, he said when he was a little boy in grade school, he would tell all his friends when they asked about his father, oh, he, he lives down in Dallas. He just made up a lie so that he wasn't one who had no father, no connection, right? So think, Joel... And then I want you to think Ron. Ron and Joel don't know each other. Their paths have never crossed. But Ron is a guy that I will be back hunting with. If you look on the, the Man Cave Edition pickup truck, you'll notice on the back, I, on the window, I've listed three guys from our hunting party who uh, have all died. I have a scripture verse under there because they are all significant to what took place while we were up there hunting. The top name there is a guy by the name of Melro. You've met Melro, Bob. You know, some of you have been here a long time, remember meeting Melro. Well, when Melro was still with us, I would go out and post the land that we were hunting then. It became part of our tradition in the fall that I would go with Melro and we'd drive around the pickup and post the land. And now when I post my own land, I do it exactly the way Melro showed me. But it was quite common that we would, our conversation would turn to that in one way or another of his son, Ron. And it was so obvious. When you talk to Melro about Ron, the pride he had in Ron, the absolute pride as a father that he loved his son. And you know that he invested in his son's life because his son is, has gone on a very stable life, doing very well. And uh, you just know it, this is what happens when there's been a father investing in their son. You grow up strong young men who now can take on their own family responsibilities as he now, uh, he's raising four children and uh, those kids are doing great and you just watch it happen. But you also know 
that there were times when Melro was raising Ron, as with any young boy, that he had to get on Ron's case, right? Did you just know? That's just what we're like, guys. It's who we are. So Melro would have disciplined Ron. Now, here's where I want to bring the two together. Although they've never met. Am I clear on that? I want you to imagine in your mind's eye now. I want you to go here. That Ron and Joel, no father, Ron, a father investing in his life, okay, who absolutely loves and adores him, they're friends. And at some point, he watches Melro, Ron's dad, get on Ron's case, and then Ron's grousing about his old man how much trouble his old man and how much of a problem is. Okay, what do you think Joel's thinking? See, I'm thinking what Joel is going to say to himself minimally if he doesn't say it to Ron because he may not want to admit to Ron what he's saying to himself is, I would die if I had a father investing in my life and I would gladly take the chastening, the discipline, the training you're taking right now just to have a father. Relationship, the first thing that the writer to Hebrews tells us. When we go through these difficult times, it's not that God has forgotten. It's not that God is necessarily angry at us. He's not trying to make us unhappy. He's a father who is training us. And if we need it directly, he will bring direct things to cause us to reflect again. Why are you going that way? You need to repent from that and turn back to a particular way that I have shown you. Or he may know that he's not bringing this directly, and in fact, it's not even a response to some particular sin or, or, or something where, he's, where this child has walked wrong. He just knows that there are character things that he's going to build into his son's life by allowing him to go through this difficult time. But he's always faithful because he is a father. And he, the writer to Hebrews is saying to us, regardless of the circumstances that we are in when they seem like they have no meaning, no purpose, we have a heavenly Father who's using them as a loving Father to shape us. Okay, the next thing that we say. First, it's relationship that is happening in this time of discipline. Pick up a few of verse 9. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, although it doesn't say chastening here. It's still the same root word in the original language. And we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits? And live, for they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit that we may be, may be partakers of his holiness. So now he makes this comparison. And what he appears to be saying is this We had fathers, uh, those who are fathers of our humanity, and he contrasts them with the one who is the father of our spirit. That's all in verse 9, but it's just hard to get that to show up from the original language. They corrected us. We respected that. We understood it. Uh, They did it according to what they thought was best. But our Father, for our prophet, that we may partake of his holiness. Two things that I would just like to mention relative to that. Um, I forced my daughter, I remember one time when she was just a little girl, I forced her into an uncomfortable circumstance. What was happening is when it's our first ministry, we're living up in Lake Bronson, they go to school in Carlstead. So she has to ride a bus. And as a little kindergartner, that was stressful to her. How do you do this? 
Well, I think we, for a day or so, we just drove her down thinking she'd get used to this. Like, okay, you can't handle the bus, we'll drive you. Once you get used to the school end of things, you'll get used to the bus. No, that didn't work. Well, I'm like, I'm not driving this kid all the way to Carlstead every morning because uh, she gets a little stressed out on the bus. There's a perfectly good bus that will take her. We're going to get her to where she can do the bus thing. And so I'm going to make her uncomfortable. But I did it not in a heavy-handed way. I took her to the school one, one evening. We, were at, we went to the school. I think it might have been when we... When, um, no, this was before. I can't put the time frame together, but here's what we did. I told her, when the bus comes, it's going to drop you off at this door. I showed her. I was there at the school with her. You're going to turn here. You're going to go left. You're going to walk down this. You see the number on the door right there? Okay, that's the room you're going into. And then when you go in there, the first day, I'm going to meet you. And I'm going to stand right by this bookcase, and I will be there. Okay, so the next day, now we got to get on the bus. And we put her on the bus, and I'm out there, and I put her on, I said, I'm, I'm going to meet you at the school. Now, she's stressed, but you have to get on the bus, because I'm not driving you every morning, okay? You've got to get on the bus. So she ha- ha- is forced to deal with this stress. I hop in my car, race ahead of the bus, go into the classroom, and I just wait. And to this day, I can still see the excitement when she turned the corner, she steps into her room, and there's Dad. Never had to do a thing again about helping her get on the bus. She got what it was. But I forced her beyond her comfort level, but in a structured way. That's what our fathers have done for us, isn't it? And we respect them for it. We understand what they, what they must do. But would you notice here that in verse 10, what God is striving for they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our prophet that we may be partakers of his holiness. That it's shaping us into Christ-likeness. There's a passage very similar to this that says effectively the same thing in the book of Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 deals with the question of suffering. It deals with the question that sometimes we go through hard times. And most of us, if we've been in any type of Bible study or been within Christian circles for any length of time, at some point we've been introduced to, to, the, to the verse that says, all things work together for good to them who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. Sometimes we throw that out a little bit too flippantly with people who are in, in deep pain, and we just throw that out there like, well, that's, it's all good. I gave you that verse and everything's fine when they need something other than that. But it is true. The next verse immediately after that says, For whom he did foreknow, them he did predestine to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Being conformed to the image of of God's Son, that is, we're being remade into the image of Jesus Christ. Because, you know, we kind of had the image of God marred in us at the fall, right? That kind of got a little twisted. And so God, when he comes into our life, he's reshaping us that we now reflect Christ who is, of course, God. So he's bringing us back to what we originally intended to be. And here's what the writer is saying. He for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. So not only do those difficult times that we face, do do they remind us that there is a heavenly Father in relationship with us who has not let this come upon us randomly, who is not unaware of it, but he is in relationship with us. 
And he is looking for results from this difficult time. And those results are going to shape us into who he wants us to be. Relationship, results. And what I truly appreciate about what the writer to Hebrews says right here in verse 11, and I just think of the word reality. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Once again, righteousness, the holiness, Christ-likeness, they're all part of that same understanding of what God is doing. I think we can, we, we too quickly, often, we throw, go over to the last part. Afterwards, it yields the peaceable, peaceable fruit of righteousness. Oh, everything's going to be fine. Again, we can be quick. We can be flip. We can just tell people, everything will be okay. It's fine. It's no big deal, right? Hey, what I like is the reality in the first part of this verse. No chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. The writer to Hebrews recognizes that there are times when either by direct design because we went amiss and God's got to bring us back or he knows there are some character qualities that, that this situation coming into our lives are what are necessary for us though we've done nothing wrong. It's never fun to go through it. Never fun. And we need to remember that when we're dealing with people in deep pain. We need to not jump to the second part of the verse. Oh, it's all going to work out really for good. We need to be able to identify and walk with them and help them during this time of deep pain. We need to bear one another's burdens, as the scripture says. And we need to be alongside of them, acknowledging it really is painful. It really does hurt. And we're not going to go to quick and easy answers. Now, this is true. I'm not denying the truth here. I've been through the deep pain. And I know how God has used it in my life. In fact, I remember a number of years ago hearing Chuck Swindoll quoting somebody who said, whoever God uses greatly, he breaks mightily. That he's got to put us through some things that will shape us and prepare us to now be able to use, be used in a significant way. So I'm dealing with some people right now. They are in deep pain. I'm looking out to that day. I'm not telling them this. Hey, it's going to be great, you know. But I do believe there's a day coming. I believe there's a day coming. And it might be five, eight, ten years down the road. I'm not talking about, oh, just a week or so and everything will be good. I'm talking about serious work that's going to be taking place in their hearts. But I can see that God will use this in their life one day. But telling them that now doesn't go a whole lot. We need to stand alongside of people in their deep pain. And I appreciate that the writer to Hebrews acknowledges this. He says it's not fun to go through it. Therefore, verse 12, strengthen the hands which hang down the feeble knees. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. And he takes us all the way back to where we were last week when he began, um, when he began this entire section. We only took the first part of it about running uh, uh, the race set before us with endurance. And he comes back to this idea of, you know, you get at the end of the race, and some of you runners, you've been there, right? Um, hey, 
You get to the end of the marathon and you're, you're barely able to keep your hands up. Your knees are pounding you. I know for me, my ankles were just killing me. All right? But he says, hey, you're going to make it. All right? You can get through it because of the things that he has been pointing out to us. He says, so don't cave in. Don't quit. You're going through a difficult time. Don't give up. Don't throw this whole Jesus and God and Bible thing out the window and say, I've got to go try something else. You can finish. And just like that runner needs to pick up his hands, right, and get them back in stride with his feet and make his way through the pain to the finish line because that's where, that's where the reward and the glory will be. He says, you can do it. And we need to be encouraged. Say, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm in relationship with a father who's using difficult times for my good, and right now it really does stink. But he's going to see me through, and there's something good he's bringing out of it. So I'm staying in the race. And the day will come. We will look back and see how God used that in our lives. And you know what? He's then going to be able to use us in other people's lives in a way we were never able to be used in other people's lives before. Father, thank you that you are faithful to your children. Thank you, Lord, that even in the difficult times, we can trust you and we can continue to move forward on the path that you have set before us that we can endure and we can trust you for all things. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.